This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, the West Virginia girls uh, AA All-State team has been announced, and we have some local representation, as expected. Uh, Could the A's be the next team to move out of Oakland? We'll take a look at the Bucks, the Nats, and the O's, uh, how they fared yesterday and kind of how they shape up here in the standings and whatnot. The NFL is releasing its schedule tonight. Somebody has got to tell me why I should care. And then coming up probably in the 8 o'clock hour, uh, we'll talk about really one of the more disgraceful things I've seen in a while in youth football. It was a video that started making the rounds yesterday on the socials, uh, and it absolutely infuriated me and a lot of other people. And it just goes to show that not everybody should be allowed to coach sports. But we'll talk about that again uh, later on in the show. All that and much more coming up uh, in the next two hours. Of the morning rush. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? Glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential work day. Several ways to get involved on the show. Hit me up on Twitter at ESPN Morning Rush or at Rush Tony C. Facebook page. At Cumberland's ESPN Radio. I don't even know why I'm saying these because they're they're all going to change here in a couple of days. Well, at least two of them anyway. But for now, they are still active and free and open to the public. So at any point, feel free to drop me a line. If you want to get involved on that youth football uh, disgrace, feel free. Any questions, opinions, there you go. Taking your calls on the rush line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo, 301 759 And, of course, our podcast page on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials just for you. Except for yesterday because there was no show. Had to take another uh, unscheduled day off which is why I'm uh, in a fairly foul mood today, among other reasons. But I shall persevere. Anyway, all those opportunities for you uh, to get involved on today's show. All right, let's kick things off as we kick uh, things off every uh, every day here with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with girls' high school basketball, where Frankfurt's Marier Purdue has been named to the West Virginia AA All-State first team. And I said this, I don't know, we might have been three weeks into the season when Marier was just going off. I said if she is not an All-State selection, I was calling for an investigation. Well, there's no need because rightfully she is a first-team selection. As a junior, she averaged 25.6 points and 6.3 rebounds a game for the Falcons. Petersburg senior Jenna Burgess was named to the second team. Her teammate Kayla Lance 
and Frankfurt's Haley Smith received honorable mention. In Major League Baseball, it was a milestone day for the Pirates' Troy Stokes Jr. There's a ground ball inside the third base bag. Newman had taken off on the pitch. Troy Stokes into second base with his first career double. What a night. Greg Brown, the call on the Pirates Radio Network. First two Major League hits and first two Major League RBI for Stokes Jr. as the Pirates beat the Reds 7-2 in DeBerg. Adam Frazier had a two-run homer for the Bucks, who snapped an eight-game losing streak uh, to Cincinnati. Elsewhere, the Mets walked it off against the Orioles. Swing and a bounce towards first. Here comes VR. Mancini up with a throw to the plate. Head first slide. He's safe. Put it in the books. Jonathan VR with a head first slide gets in ahead of the tag from Severino. Patrick Mazika again drives in the game-winning run with what will be a fielder's choice. And the Mets win the ball game. The call on WCBS, Patrick Mazika with the ever-exciting walk-off fielder's choice. His second in four days, as a matter of fact. As the Mets beat the O's 3-2, John Means, in his first start since his no-hitter, threw six scoreless innings for Baltimore. And in Washington, Bryce Harper homered against his old team as the Phillies beat the Nationals 6-2. Trey Turner hit his eighth homer of the season for the Nats, who uh, or they're struggling. And we'll talk about them here in just a bit. In the NHL, the Capitals and Bruins wrapped up the regular season with a little drama in D.C. Six seconds left as it is brought in along the near side. Michael Raffle, a shot, he scores! Michael Raffle from nearly an impossible angle with 1.8 seconds to go. It's 2-1. Washington, the first goal in a Capitals uniform for Michael Raffle. John Walton, the call on the Caps radio network. A Raffle's goal was officially with three seconds left in regulation to give the Caps a 2-1 to win. Now, the game didn't mean anything because... Uh, Both teams already locked into their playoff spots. They will begin their first-round playoff series against each other on Saturday night in D.C. And tonight in the NBA, the Wizards will try to move one step closer to a playoff spot. They got no help last night as they take on the Hawks in Atlanta. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Rally Group. Yeah, the Wizards looking for some help last night. Didn't get it. The Pacers, who were a half game ahead of the Wizards for the ninth spot, taking on the Sixers. And you would have thought that the Sixers, you know, number one team in the Eastern Conference, only two games up on Brooklyn, only three games up on Milwaukee, you would have thought they would have shown up, and they didn't. (laughs) They did, much to the Wizards' chagrin, Uh, The Sixers just laid a massive egg last night. And they lost to the Pacers in Indiana, 103-94. So now the Pacers a full game up on the Wizards uh, in the standings with just a handful of games left to play. And as I said, the Wizards, uh, they're on the road tonight, back the second of uh, two straight games at Atlanta. They lost the first game a couple nights ago. So looking at the standings right now, 
With that win, the Pacers clinched at least a spot in the play-in tournament. Okay, and Charlotte did as well. So right now, you have the Heat actually beat the Celtics last night. Let's back up here a little bit. The Heat beat the Celtics in back-to-back games. So the Heat clinched a playoff spot. They are out of the play-in discussion. The Heat clinched a, a real, for lack of a better word, a real playoff spot. They are now the fifth seed. The Knicks dropped to the sixth seed. The Celtics, who are just really playing poorly down the stretch, they're sitting at number seven. Charlotte and Indiana, as I mentioned, they both clinched spots and they, they play at least the play-in tournament, and then the Wizards. So right now, Washington, a game behind both Charlotte and Indiana, and they are three back of Boston. And don't forget, the Wizards play Charlotte last game of the regular season. Things still looking good for Washington. They still lead the Bulls by three games for that 10th and final uh, playoff spot. So a win here by the Wizards or a loss somewhere down the road by the Bulls will pretty much wrap it up for Washington. Still in pretty good position to get a playoff spot. But the Sixers doing the Wizards absolutely no favors last night by just tanking against the Pacers. Not that he lost on purpose, just didn't play well. So it would behoove Washington to uh, take out the Hawks tonight. Uh, All right, Major League Baseball. Pirates finally got off the schneid against the Reds last night, Uh, much to my chagrin because I dropped a fish on Cincy. And and why wouldn't I? I mean, the Reds had beaten the Pirates eight straight times dating back to last season, including the first four meetings this season – by a combined score of 44 to 9. Now, I should have known something was up when the Reds were getting a run and a half yesterday. I should have known. And as I, I stated several times on this show, for those who like to go to the window, if a line looks too good to be true, it usually is. The Reds, who had beaten, who just they'd beaten the brakes off the Pirates this season, for them to get a run and a half, I'm like, ah, oh, this is too easy. It, it was, it was a sucker bet, and I was a sucker. JT Brubaker, another solid start for the Pirates. He allowed just one run on five hits in six innings, uh, struck out four, walked one. He's now three and two this season, and he lowered his ERA to two point five eight. He has been. Sneaky good for the Bucks, which means he'll likely be traded in July because that's how it works. We talked about it in the Rock Around, uh, rock around the Region. Troy Stokes Jr. finally had himself a night. He had been 0 for 9 since being called up. But last night, got his first two Major League hits, his first two Major League RBI. He gets off the schneid. Adam Frazier, he has been off the schneid for a while. He had two hits. He pushed his hitting streak to 12 games, matches a career high, and is the longest current streak in the majors. Still, the Pirates won for just the third time in the last 12 games. They're still five games under at 15 and 20. But you're still looking for the bright spots. That's what you do when you follow a team that is is rarely good. You look for the bright spots. Last night, Troy Stokes Jr., Adam Frazier, Brubaker, all bright spots. 
On the injury front, not a bright spot. Uh, reliever Kyle Crick, he was placed on the uh, 10-day injured list with a right triceps strain. Gregory Polanco was back in the Bucks lineup as a pinch hitter last night. He struck out. There's a shocker. Uh, he was activated from the IL after missing a week for violating the league's health and safety protocols. Three-game series wraps up this afternoon. Sonny Gray will look to get his first win of the season for Cincy. Trevor Cahill, he of the 1-4 record and robust ERA of 6.75. He will go for the Bucks. The Orioles, they drop a tough one uh, to the Mets again in walk-off fashion. Patrick Mazika, the ever-popular walk-off fielder's choice. Got a runner on third. He hits a ground ball to train Mancini at first. Mancini uh, tried to get former Oriole Jonathan VR at the plate, but uh, Mancini's throw high and late, and the Mets get the run and the win. For Mazika, this is, look, this cat is a third-string catcher, right? And he has had himself an interesting week, to say the least. Last night was his second walk-off RBI in his first four big league games. All right, He is the first player since at least 1920. And I say at least because RBIs, they weren't in an official stat until 1920. So at least the last 101 years. He is the first player to have multiple game-ending RBI in his first four career games. And we have to say game-ending RBI because he still doesn't have a major league hit, which makes it even crazier. This past Friday, he gave the Mets a 5-4 win over Arizona in the 10th inning with a walk-off RBI fielder's choice. Then, as a pinch hitter on Sunday, he drew a go-ahead, bases-loaded walk. And then last night, another RBI fielder's choice. This dude has three career RBI and no hits. <laughs> his average has three RBI, and his average is 0 That's amazing. That's just one of the... <laughs> That's one of those things that makes sports amazing. Three runs batted in, doesn't have a single hit. Uh, for the O's, we wondered how John Means would pitch in his first game after that no-hitter, and he pitched pretty well. Six scoreless innings, six hits, three strikeouts, and he didn't allow a hit until the, the fifth inning of last night's game. So he pitches a no-no, and then he goes four more no-hit innings last night. And even though he was pitching on five days rest, he still threw 113 pitches and a no-hitter. So manager Brandon Hyde still wanted him. He was going to limit his pitches last night. And Means was pulled from the game at 78 pitches. And it made sense because the Orioles had bases loaded. They only had one out. And because it was an interleague game at the Mets, Means had to bat. So his spot was coming up in the order with bases loaded and high perfect time to take Means out of the game. And actually, Pat Vileka had an RBI sack fly as a pinch hitter to break a scoreless tie. So it, it made sense. I, I, I'm still not a big fan of, of the whole, you know, limiting pitchers. I mean, you're a major league pitcher, for goodness sake. You're on five days rest. Let him, let him pitch. But I get it. 
with the whole lineup thing. And even though he got the no decision, uh, Means lowered his ERA to 1.21. A series continues today. Matt Harvey takes the mound for the O's, and he will face his former team uh, for the first time since he left New York in 2018. And finally, the Nationals slide continued last night with that four-run loss to the Phillies. Bryce Harper, he comes up to the plate. He's getting heckled uh, by some of the fans in attendance, and he quickly shut them up (laughs) with a first-inning homer off Eric Fetty. Uh, I hate to say it because I like the guy, uh, not Harper. I really like Josh Bell, really liked him with the Pirates, but so far, uh, the Josh Bell experiment not working out for the Nationals. I know it's early, season's barely a month old, and of course they got a bell from the Pirates in an offseason trade. He went 0 for 4 last night, including a strikeout with the bases loaded in the seventh inning, Nats were down 3-2. Bell is now hitting 134 this season. Now, Davey Martinez, he's got Bell's back. He said, hey, the team needs Bell. He's not giving up on him quite yet. Bell is a streaky hitter. Once he starts hitting, and we saw in Pittsburgh, once he starts hitting, he can hit. But so far, and again, the season's about six weeks old, uh, Josh Bell not getting it done for the Nationals. During that bases loaded at bat, uh, Bell fouled a pitch off of uh, JT Real Muto's left knee. And the catcher, he finished Bell's at bat, that strikeout, but then he left the game. And the Phillies are calling it a muscle bruise. Uh, Joe Girardi said they'll have to wait until today uh, to see how he feels. On the injury front for the Nats, Steven Strasburg still dealing with that shoulder inflammation. Threw 62 pitches in a simulated game. He is progressing further along than they thought at this point. And that's according to Davey Martinez. Wander Suero uh, dealing with a left oblique strain. Daggone left obliques. He was examined, worked out before last night's game. He could be activated today or tomorrow. And I mentioned the slide. Seven games ago, Washington was 12-12. and And they were in first place in the disappointing NL East. Since then, they're 1-6. and And they have gone from first place all the way to last place in the East. Uh, they are tied with the Marlins, both four and a half back of the Mets. They can get one of those games back today. Series resumes tonight. Zach Wheeler goes for the Mets. Uh, John Lester for the Nats. So there you go. A little wrap on the uh, Bucks, O's, and Nats. Only one of the three gets a win yesterday. Still some bright spots here and there. Gotta look for the bright spots. But we are now dealing with all three of those teams sitting in last place in their respective uh, divisions. When we come back, could the A's be out of Oakland? Stick around for that. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get into this whole uh, Oakland A's thing, has anybody uh, recently taken a drive on Virginia Avenue uh, lately? I'm talking between... Like the the train, what, what's it called? The underpass, overpass, whatever it is. Like between that and, and like River Avenue. You know what I'm talking about? 
before you get to a Canal Parkway at the end there? Has anybody has anybody tried to traverse that minefield? What a absolutely god awful stretch of road. I know they've been working on it here recently, some of the side streets and whatnot. But that little stretch from River Avenue to the underpass, including the section under the underpass, it is just. I can only imagine it's what it's like, you know, driving on the surface of the moon, right? Like if you were driving a Jeep with a blown out suspension on the surface of the moon, that's what it'd be like. It's how do you how do you drive? Has any city official how do you drive on that stretch of road and be fine with it? I mean, seriously. It is a disgrace. I, I, there's probably there can't be any more than like a a five yard stretch of flat surface at any point on that stretch of road. T- tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. If you've driven that stretch recently, you know what I'm talking about. And see, it further aggravates me because I have to drive it every day. Well, I don't have to. I can take the long way around, but I shouldn't have to do that because I got a new car. And whenever you get a new car. You really, you, you baby it at, at first, right? You're very careful, like anything new that you get. And now I got to take my new car on this ridiculous, <laughs> just torn up stretch of road. And I know, what, what's the limit on that road? 25, 20, even that slow. You could feel your car take a beating. Somebody's got to do something about that. Maybe it's in the works. Maybe it's in the plans. If not, it should be. Because that is an absolutely disgraceful stretch of road for anybody. What do they call it? Infrastructure? When we're done uh, working on uh, Industrial Boulevard, when we're done with that eight-year project, maybe we can throw a little blacktop down here on Virginia Avenue. How How about we do that? I don't, I don't think that's too much to ask. Anyway, <clears throat> now that I've released that stressor, let's move on. Uh, people in Oakland are stressed at the moment. Uh, the A's, the athletics, if you will, uh, they've been in Oakland since moving there from Kansas City back in 1968. Now there's a chance that they will be on the move again. Yesterday, the A's received the blessing from the almighty Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball to start exploring the possibility of relocation. And now the A's have been pushing for years to get a new waterfront stadium uh, built in downtown Oakland. But, you know, obviously since it's taken years, it's been met with some resistance uh, from local government. And where, the, in case you don't know, in case you don't pay attention to West Coast baseball, where the A's play now, it's, I think it's called Ring Central Coliseum. It's the old Oakland Alameda Coliseum. It's an absolute dump. It is an absolute 55-year-old, it's a piece of crap. It's falling apart. And the A's are saying, as they've been saying, hey, get us a new stadium. Or route. 
And to listen to Jeff Passan tell SVP last night, again, they've been saying that for almost, it's about two decades now. The purpose of today was to send a message to politicians in Oakland. If this doesn't get done, then we are seriously going to look at leaving. And they have been playing patty cake for 20 years now. And that's not an exaggeration. The first time the Oakland A's started looking at a new stadium was back in 2001. And they looked at a couple of spots in Oakland. It didn't work out. They looked at Fremont. It didn't work out. They looked at San Jose. The Giants blocked that. They looked at another spot in Oakland. It didn't work out. And now they've settled on Howard Terminal. And, uh, you know, the most interesting part of this whole thing is that Oakland, the city, has kept them around as long as they have with Oakland Coliseum kind of in disrepair and with plenty of other cities chomping at the bit to go out and spend all the taxpayer money that it takes to build stadiums. And so the fact that we're at this point now, it's the culmination of something that has been going on for an interminable amount of time. And... I'm just excited to see it finally be over with at some point. Right, one way or another. And look, all politics are local, and clearly they're in play here. And each situation is unique. But in situations like this, what do you, what, what's been sort of a common thread of what direction the outcomes tend to go? You know, what we have to remember, Scott, is that the San Francisco Giants, once upon a time, were threatening to leave the Bay Area as well, go down to Tampa before the Rays were even in existence, and they got a new stadium. The Cleveland Indians had been talking about moving. The Kansas City Royals had been talking about moving. The Minnesota Twins had talked about moving. You can go on and on and on the laundry list of organizations that have talked about moving and haven't done it. The Washington Nationals moved back in 2005. Before that, the last team before that in Major League Baseball to move was the Washington Senators to Texas in 1972. So in half a century, Scott, we've had two teams move. So in the end, history tells us that the Oakland A's are going to remain in Oakland and they're not going to become the Las Vegas Athletics or the San Antonio Athletics or the Charlotte Athletics or the Portland Athletics. But this has been going on for so long now with no resolution that uh, of all the teams that have been threatening, I think the A's probably would be the likeliest of any to execute that move. How much more pressure is there on everyone to make sure they don't leave, given that the Raiders now play in Vegas and given mm-hmm. that the Warriors, they're still close, but they're in San Francisco. They're not, they're not in Oakland. How much does that ramp up the, the pressure? Yeah, I, I mean, it's everything, right? You don't want to be the politicians who saw three major professional sports teams leave your city and leave it with none. And so I think the, the A's at this point... Uh, are sitting in a very good position. But, Scott, what they're asking for is a lot. They want to have a $12 billion mixed-use development down on the waterfront. And this wouldn't just be the billion-dollar stadium that they're funding. This would be a hotel, and this would be shopping, and this would be, you know, revitalizing that area in Oakland. That's what they are hoping for, to be the hub of that. All right, a lot to uh, digest there. First of all, with all respect to Oakland, I would love to see the Las Vegas Athletics. The Vegas A's. All right? I would love it. Vegas already has an NFL and NHL team. Only stands the reason it'll get an NBA and an MLB team soon enough. And Major League Baseball does not want to expand again. And I think we'll do anything to avoid it. 
So if a city like Vegas were to get a team, it would likely be one that already exists, like the A's. And you heard Jeff mention right there San Antonio, Portland, although I wouldn't put anything in Portland uh, at the moment. Other cities that have been mentioned in the past for relocation or expansion. Montreal, Vancouver, north of the border, both of those obviously. Charlotte, Nashville, which I think I think a baseball team in Nashville would be absolute gangbusters. I think they would do really well there. And Oakland, as we already know, small market team, right? They need a new stadium with all the bells and whistles to try and stay competitive. Or at the very least, sell some tickets. As I said already, Oakland, Alameda Coliseum, wherever it's called, it's 55 years old. It's a dump. And... You need to look no further than the Pirates. Now, I know. They haven't exactly put a great product on the field since PNC Park opened in 2001. Oakland, the A's, have been much more competitive over the last 20 years than the Pirates. They're both small market teams. But a lot of people in the last 20 years have bought a ticket just to go see PNC Park. Not so much the team because the team stinks. But a lot of people want to go see because look, PNC Park. I know I'm biased, but I'm not. I don't think I'm out of bounds when I say this. It's one of the best places in America to watch a baseball game. The product be damned, right? It really is. And I, look, when you, I'm not telling a secret there. So, as somebody who spent a lot of time at Three River Stadium, I've kind of watched the, the North Shore in Pittsburgh explode. After Three Rivers was leveled, right, and then Hinesfield went up, PNC Park went up, along with Three Rivers, or not Three Rivers, the Rivers Casino, along with everything that was already there. If you've been to the North Shore recently to maybe see a Steelers game or a Pirate or just whatever, you know what I'm talking about. Because when the old Three Rivers Stadium was there, there wasn't much in a parking lot. That was it. The North Shore has really, really come along since the two new stadiums were built in Pittsburgh. Same can happen in Oakland. If the local government does what it should and give the A's their new joint. Right? A's want that park, that waterfront, just like just like PNC Park, Hinesville, right there on the water. Waterfront stadium, shopping. Restaurants, hotel, they really just build up downtown Oakland with the A's and their new stadium being right right there in the middle. And it sounds like the two sides have been pretty much playing a game of chicken, right, for the past 20 years. And it sounds like the A's have finally had enough. And and they should. Come on. When you see all these other teams and all these other areas – Getting new stadiums, new arenas, all these new deals. It's it, it's it's high time for Oakland to get their get their new digs, or they're gone, and they should look. They already lost the Raiders, they already lost the Warriors. Why would they think that the A's wouldn't follow suit if they don't get what they want? This is not the time, especially since the A's got the blessing 
from Major League Baseball itself to explore relocation, this is not the time to try to call somebody's bluff. And I, I, I've told this story before. I was living in Cleveland. I was going to broadcasting school. I was interning. I was there when the Browns bolted Cleveland for Baltimore. And I was there when it all when it all shook shook down came down. And how that whole thing came about was you had Art Modell sitting there with the Browns, the most popular team in that city. All respect to the Cavaliers, all respect to the Indians. The Browns were the team, and they still are in Cleveland. And here's Art Modell sitting there, and he sees the Cavaliers get the brand new, at that time, Gundarina. He sees the Indians, at that time, get the brand new Jacobs Field. And then he sees the Browns playing in that piece of crap Cleveland Stadium. Much like the A's are currently playing in that piece of crap Oakland Coliseum. And Modell had threatened I want a new stadium. I want a new stadium. If I don't get it, the Browns are leaving. And the government, I do believe the mayor was Michael White back then, didn't buy it. Didn't believe it. Didn't believe it. There's no way. There's no way that Art Modell was going to remove the institute that was the Cleveland Browns out of the city. There's no way. Ah, He's bluffing. Ah, He's not going to do it. Well, How'd that work out? <laughs> How'd that work out for the city of Cleveland? Modell had enough. He had enough. He sees the Cavs get new digs. He saw the, the Indians get new digs. And he's sitting there playing in that dump, and he bolted. It was that simple. It was that simple. So if the city of Oakland kind of needs you know, an example of Look towards Cleveland. If you don't think the A's are – I know it's been going on for 20 years. And to be honest, why the A's are still there, I have no idea. But if they don't think the A's won't pack up and leave after losing the Raiders and after losing the Warriors, they better think again. The Las Vegas Athletics. The Vegas A's. I like it. it has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? The Nashville A's, eh, not so much. But I'm telling you, baseball would explode down there in Nashville. All right, time for a break. Back up, uh, back to wrap up our number one. Stick around, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Coming up next hour, we, of course, will rock around the region. And then we're going to talk about uh, justice, really infuriating video that made the rounds yesterday on the socials at this youth football camp that just got it got me angry it got a lot of people angry and upset former NFL players speaking out it was just uh it just proof that not everybody uh should have a whistle and coach youth sports but that's next hour right now uh, some sad news out of football and you remember the quarterback, Colt Brennan? Uh, he QB'd at the University of Hawaii. He was a late-round draft pick uh, for Washington. He died. 
And this was, I mean, he's only 37. And, I mean, this cat broke all kinds of records at Hawaii. He was playing for June Jones in that, that you know, what did they call it? The run and gun offense, or, or I can't remember what it was. But uh, he, would, he would just sling it all over the place. Passed for more than 4,000 yards three times. Threw for 5,500 yards in 2006. And that season, he set the single-season record at the, at that, for touchdown passes with 58. And that record stood until Joe Burrow broke it in 2019. Uh, Brennan still fourth all-time in career touchdown passes uh, with 131, dead at the age of 37. Uh, Mark Schleyball from ESPN looked back at his career uh, at Ohio. Three seasons as Hawaii's quarterback, Colt Brennan was the epitome of what then Hawaii coach June Jones' offense was supposed to be. Like Jones, he simply didn't give a damn and threw the ball all over the field and went deep as much as possible. In three seasons as the Rainbow Warrior starter from 2005 to 2007, he set or tied 31 NCAA records, including touchdowns in a seasons with 58, which was broken by LSU's Joe Burrow a couple of seasons ago. Uh, in those three seasons as a starter, Brennan had 30 games with 300 yards or more, 20 games with 400 yards or more, and five games with 500 yards or more. The run-and-shoot offense had never been so pure. At the end of the 2006 season, Brennan threw for 559 yards against Arizona State in the Hawaii Bowl and then surprised a lot of people when he decided not to enter the NFL draft and return to Hawaii for one more season. It was his way of paying back Jones, who gave him a second chance when most people couldn't. In those three seasons, Hawaii and college football on the islands had never been so much fun, and Colt Brennan was a lot of the reason for that success. I said Ohio. I meant Hawaii, obviously. Uh, Brennan was sixth in the Heisman voting in 2006, third in 2007, that 07 season. Hawaii went 12-0 and and was ranked 10th in the AP poll uh, before they lost to Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Now, Terry Brennan, who was Colt's father, he announced uh, Colt's passing away, said that uh, his son died early yesterday morning at a hospital in Newport Beach, Cali. The day before, paramedics were called to a hotel room where Colt Brennan had been with other people. Uh, Terry Brennan said his son had ingested something laced with fentanyl and never regained consciousness. After that 07 season, uh, Brennan was drafted by Washington, I think in the, was it sixth round? Yeah, sixth round pick in 08, but uh, had some injuries, never saw the field his rookie year. Washington released him, and they never played in the NFL. And then in 2010, there was a car accident that left him with a traumatic brain injury, uh, uh, just a head injury, broken ribs, broken collarbone, and, and according to his dad, he just kind of went, he's just spiraled from there. Had a bunch of legal troubles, including arrests for DUI. And here, here's here's one of the awful things about that. Obviously, he, he died, so that's, that's, you know, nothing's more awful than that. But hours before he went to that hotel room, Colt Brennan... He tried to enter a detox program at an area hospital, but he was turned away. 
because there were no beds available. Can you believe that? He wanted to go to detox. And his dad said that he was really into it, that it involved a bunch of physical activity. He liked it. He was working with soldiers who had come back from Afghanistan and Iraq with similar problems. And he said that he was doing quite well for four months, but then something happened and according to his dad, quote unquote, went to the dark side. And to think that what happened yesterday may have been avoided if he wasn't turned away at that hospital, wanting to check into that detox. Can you believe that? Just a sad story all around. And ju- I mean, how, how many people, seriously, how many people have e- had even thought of Colt Brennan after his college days, after he was drafted by Washington, then released? Just one of those sad stories of a, a guy, an athlete who has a great career in high school, maybe a great career in college, doesn't maybe do too well in the pros, and then just kind of gets, it just kind of gets forgotten, just kind of thrown by the wayside. And then here he, here he is, dead at 37. Just a tragic story uh, all the way around, for sure. All right, uh, no real easy way to transition out of that, so we'll just move on. Uh, our number one done, coming up again, rock around the region, and then this just youth football video that just has me PO'd to no end. Stick around, 102.1 FM, AM 1230, Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Hour number two of the Morning Rush underway here on Cumberland's ESPN Radio. Brought to you by Thomas Cumberland with locations in Bedford, Johnstown, and of course, uh, Cumberland. We are live from the Palatial ESPN studio high atop Industrial Boulevard. At least 10 foot up, or 10 feet, 10 foot up. (laughs) Can we just start this hour over again? I'm trying to do two things at once here. Because I'm trying to retweet this ridiculous, ridiculous video that I saw yesterday. I'm going to do that right now. Maybe. Uh, Come on, open it up here. Here we go. There it is. I'm retweeting it right now on our show page. There we go. All right. Where was I? It doesn't matter. Let's just move, let's just move on. Uh, several ways to get involved on the show. Speaking of uh, Twitter. At ESPN Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C. Our Facebook page at Cumberland's ESPN Radio. All three of those pages. Free and open to the public. Like them. Follow them. At any point, drop me a line. Got a question, a comment, an opinion. You want to get involved in a conversation, especially this next one coming up? Feel free. You can also call the Rush Line, 301-759-2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shum on. 301-759-2628. And, of course, our podcast page, on the free Podbean app where we upload every show every day minus commercials just for you. In case you missed something, you missed a, a show from before, earlier, it's all right there. So, for instance, if you missed the first hour, uh, we put a cap on the Bucks, Nats, and O's 
kind of seen where they stand about six weeks into the season. A uh, little hint for you, they all stand in last place. We, t- <laughs> we talked about the A's possibly finally uh, forcing Oakland's hand to get a new stadium or else they're going to leave. And at the end of last hour, we talked about the tragic death of a former quarterback, Colt Brennan. University of Hawaii set tons of records, was drafted by Washington in the sixth round, never saw the field, he got hurt, and then his life just kind of spiraled out of control from there. And he passed away yesterday morning, I do, 37 years old. So we discussed all of that last hour. Again, later on today, I'll upload the show, and you can check it out. All right, uh, before we get into this disgraceful uh, youth football video, let's rock around the region. I want to rock right now. And we start with girls' high school basketball, where Frankfurt's Marie Purdue has been named to the West Virginia AA All-State first team, and rightfully so. As a junior, Purdue averaged 25.6 points and 6.3 rebounds a game for the Falcons. Uh, Petersburg senior Jenna Burgess was named to the second team, Her teammate, Kayla Lance, and Frankfurt's Haley Smith received honorable mention. In Major League Baseball, it was a milestone day for the Pirates' Troy Stokes Jr. There's a ground ball inside the third base bag. Newman had taken off on the pitch. Troy Stokes into second base with his first career double. What a night. Greg Brown, the call on the Pirates Radio Network. First two Major League hits and first two Major League runs batted in for Stokes as the Pirates beat the Reds 7-2 in Pittsburgh. Adam Frazier had a two-run homer for the Pirates, who snapped an eight-game losing streak uh, to Cincinnati. Uh, Frazier had two hits, and his uh, hit streak is now up to uh, 12 games, longest current streak in the majors. Elsewhere, the Mets walked it off against the Orioles. Swing and a bounce towards first. Here comes VR. Mancini up with a throw to the plate. Head first slide. He's safe. Put it in the box. Jonathan VR with a head first slide gets in ahead of the tag from Severino. Patrick Mazika again drives in the game winning run with what will be a fielder's choice. And the Mets win the ball game. The call on WCBS, Patrick Mazika, the third string catcher, with his second walk-off RBI fielder's choice in four days as the Mets beat the O's uh, 3-2. John Means, in his first start since his no-hitter, threw six scoreless innings for Baltimore, got the no decision. He lowered his ERA to 1.21. And in Washington, Bryce Harper Homeward against his old team as the Phillies beat the Nationals 6-2. Trey Turner hit his eighth homer of the season for the Nats, who have lost six of seven since reaching the 500 mark. And they have fallen uh, from first place to last place. In the NHL, the Capitals and Bruins wrapped up the regular season with a little uh, late Third period drama in D.C. Six seconds left as it is brought in along the near side. Michael Raffle, a shot, he scores! Michael Raffle from nearly an impossible angle with 1.8 seconds to go. It's 2-1 Washington, the first goal in a Capitals uniform for Michael Raffle. John Walton, the call on the Caps Radio Network. Raffle's goal was officially with three seconds left in regulation. To give the Caps a 2-1 win, 
how do I want to word this? It was the second latest game-winning goal in Caps history. Does that make sense? With three seconds left. Uh, the game didn't mean anything for either team since they were already kind of locked into their playoff spots. They will begin their first-round playoff series against each other. Should be a great series on Saturday night in D.C. And tonight in the NBA, the Wizards will try to move one step closer to a playoff spot as they take on the Hawks in Atlanta. Uh, Washington currently in the 10th spot in the Eastern Conference, a game behind both Charlotte and Indiana. And that is your Walk Around the Region brought to you by the Caporelli Group. All right, here we go. Uh, again, if you want to get involved on this conversation, rush line is open, 301-759-2628. And yesterday, I guess it was more of last night, I suppose. It doesn't matter. I saw what I consider to be a very disturbing video roll across my Twitter feed uh, several times. And I didn't want to, but for, you know, for this conversation, I retweeted it just a minute ago at ESPN Morning Rush and at Rush Tony C on Twitter. So if you haven't seen it, you can check it out. It is a video of what looks to be a youth football camp. Not exactly sure where it is, but I can tell you the players are wearing Tennessee Titans helmets for whatever that's worth. I don't know if the Titans are involved directly or they just took the logo. The kids can't be any more than seven, eight years old. They can't. Maybe nine, but that's pushing it. I doubt it. And they are running this one-on-one drill with one ball carrier and one defender. And they're basically made to meet in the middle, head-on, full speed. And what this video shows is the kid with the ball lowering the crown of his helmet, catching the other kid full blast in the face mask, and nearly knocking him out cold. I mean, this, this kid, I mean, his feet were pointing towards the sky. You know what I mean? All the while, these, and I I hesitate to even call them coaches at this point. These idiots stand around, not only recording the drill, but you can hear them laughing about it in the background until one coach finally says, oh, you're good, you're good. Well, guess what? The kid wasn't good. (laughs) This poor kid could barely get up. I'm not even sure uh, if he knew where he was. And that's the part that sticks in my mind. The image of this, and let's let's be real here, little kid, and, and that's what they are. Because we tend to forget in the realm of football and youth football that we're still talking about little kids. This image of this little kid, again, who can't be more than seven, eight years old, trying to get up, and it immediately reminded me of a boxer who has just been knocked down, and he's trying to figure out where he is. You remember when Buster Douglas knocked out Mike Tyson? And you remember Tyson kind of 
searching around for his mouthpiece, right? Just trying to figure out what happened. That's what that reminded me of. It is a heartbreaking thing to watch. And again, if you want to watch it, for the sake of this conversation, it's it's up on our Twitter pages at ESPN Morning Rush and at Rush Tony C. And when I see this video, that is not what youth football and youth sports is supposed to be about. And it infuriated me, and it did a lot of other people. Because you had not just everyday run-of-the-mill guys like me, but you had former NFLers like Sean Salisbury, Sean Merriman, Mike Golick. You had, uh, I saw a couple of former Steelers like Nate Washington and Vron Hayes, uh, Joel Klatt who covers the NFL. They all came out on Twitter and absolutely blasted the people responsible, and rightfully so. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. There is absolutely no place for what I saw in youth sports. And anybody who is around my age, I do not want to hear, well, back in my day, we did stuff like that. We ran drill. I don't want to hear that crap. Guess what? I did it too. And you know what? We all probably have brain damage right now. Oh, well, that's the kind of stuff that builds character. No, it doesn't. You know what it does? It makes kids hate football. It makes kids hate the sport. A lot has changed over the last 20, 30, since I played youth football. A lot has changed. As a matter of fact, when I played youth football, I couldn't even play. I couldn't even play tackle football at that age. We weren't allowed to play until I think the, the age was nine, nine or ten. If I'm that little dude who got blasted, why would I want to come back for that? And, and to watch the video, it almost looks like it was set up that way. It almost looks like it was set up to have this running back. Why else? Why else would you record the drill? Why else would you? And that, that's what makes me sick that these moron coaches, and again, I, I hesitate to even call them coaches. Why would you even record it and then laugh about it and post the video? If I'm a parent and I see that happen to my kid and that kind of drill, why would I bring my kid back for that? First of all, if I'm a parent sitting there and I see that's my kid, we're going to have some words. Myself and these coaches, we're going to have some issues. We're going to have some problems. And look, this is coming from somebody, myself, who used to coach the Ridgely Hawks right down the road. Right? I did it for uh, three years. Six, seven, and eight-year-olds is too young for kids to be playing in full pads and helmets. I don't care what you have to say to me, you won't change my mind on that. I didn't always think that way, but I do now. Kids aren't developed enough. They are not strong enough. 
to take that kind of beating with all of that gear on. They're just not. Now, every once in a while, you'll have an outlier. You'll have an athlete, an athletic kid at that age who could, who could take it. But for the most part, no. You see some kids who put a helmet on, they can hardly hold their head up at six years old. Let me repeat that for those of you who don't get it. Six. Six years old. I put my son out there on the field at six years old, and I suck for it. I don't even know why I did it. Shame on me. I have done a complete 180 when it comes to this. Now, again, when I played youth football, I couldn't even play at six, seven, and eight years old. You had to be at least nine. That's the way it should be. Kids that young should be playing flag football. And I, and again, I don't want to hear this macho crab of flag footballs for, for wuss. Shut up. You can take that mentality and shove it because I'm sick and tired of hearing it. Kids should be learning flag football at that age, learning about the game, learning to love the game before getting blown up in pads and helmets. Secondly, this is proof beyond a shadow of a doubt that not everybody is suited to coach youth sports, especially football. And I tweeted this out last night when I saw the video. Responding to a couple people, somebody needs to round up every coach on that field during that drill, show them out, and never let them carry a whistle ever again. Ever. If you're a coach, and I'll call you out right here and right now, if you're a coach and you see that video and you see nothing wrong with it, please do us all a favor and get as far away from our kids as possible. If you don't see anything wrong with that video, get away. Put the whistle away. Go find something else to do. That It almost reminded me, and again, you want to get involved in the conversation, 301-759-2628. Remember the Oklahoma drills we used to do back in the day? The same Oklahoma drills that have been outlawed by the National Football League? where basically you took uh, two tackling dummies and you lined them up, right? You laid them down to create like a lane, right? And it was all one-on-one stuff. Offensive linemen, defensive linemen, about three feet apart. Blow the whistle, bang. All right, next two up. Blow the whistle, bang, bang, bang. Head on head, one-on-one, over and over and over again. That's what that drill reminded me of. Except they got a running start. With these little kids. Got a running start. There was absolutely no coaching involved whatsoever. Because again, the running back lowered his head. The defender, the little kid, never, I mean, he just, he he stood straight up. Nothing about that video properly represents what youth football and youth sports should be about. Absolutely nothing. And it sickened me. It really did. It really did. And I saw, uh, who was it? I think it was Joel Klatt. If I can pull it up here real quick. I saw his response to it. Let me uh, me consult the bones here. Here's Joel Klatt right here. Who, if you don't follow him, you need to. 
Joel responded to this video. Words cannot begin to express my anger watching this clip. This is not football. And whoever put this idiotic drill together and allowed an obvious mismatch, I told you, an obvious mismatch should never be allowed near a football field or youth sports forever. This is child abuse disguised as competition. He wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one who said that or something very similar to that. As I said, Mike Golick came out against it. Longtime college football player, longtime NFLer. I just don't understand how supposed adults. The ones who are supposed to take care of these kids, the ones who are supposed to coach, I don't understand how that's okay. And here's what I really hope. I hope that the pushback is so severe that eventually, and I tell you what, social media is wrong in so many ways. So many ways. But every now and then, social media, there is a groundswell. There is... When social media attacks, it can be sometimes effective. And my only hope is that enough people see the video and enough people, for lack of a better word, complain about it. And that they go after these coaches. And they get them the hell out. They get them away from those kids. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. And I am... And I've said it before on the show. I would, n- I rarely, what's the word I'm looking for here? Begrudge people who volunteer to coach. That, that, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Because volunteering to coach is a hard job. I've done it. I did it for several years. All right, I did it in youth league, church league. I, I did it in middle school. So I, I very rarely, or I try not to criticize those who volunteer their time. It's a thankless job in, in, in many, many aspects because you're volunteering your time. You're volunteering your evenings, uh, and a lot of people just don't appreciate it. You're taking time out of your life to hopefully, hopefully help kids, hopefully help them along, and do it properly. So I do my best not to criticize volunteer coaches because it is difficult on several levels. And I'm going to play a clip here from Frank Martin, who's one of my favorite coaches ever. He coaches down in South Carolina. And there's a point to me playing this. And first of all, I said this clip here, it's from a handful of years ago. This should be required listening to any parent who has kids in youth sports, okay? It should be required listening. If you're a parent and a kid, you listen to this. Listen to it. Soak it all in. And I'll tell you in a minute why I'm playing this clip. Here is uh, Frank Martin. I know this. I'm the most animated coach that you've probably ever seen when my team's playing. I go watch my kids play. I don't say boo. I don't wave my arms. I don't try to coach my kids. With all due respect to most parents out there, I probably know more about basketball than most of them, okay? 
But I sit in the stands and I don't say a word. There's two guys refereeing a fourth grade game on a Sunday morning. What can they possibly be making? 20 bucks a game? I used to do that. I used to make $12 for 10 and under, 15 for 15 and under, and 17 or 18 bucks for high school age kids. Okay? So on a Sunday morning, instead of being in church, those guys are out there trying to make a couple bucks to pay their bills, feed their families. Do you think they really care what fourth grade team wins? Do you really think that they like sat at home and said, I can't wait to officiate that game tomorrow because that one team, I can't wait to get that 10-year-old kid and embarrass them in front of people. Do you really think that's what they're doing? I don't try to tell my kid how they should play. You know what I told my two boys when they come ask me, why are you asking me, man? I didn't run your practice. Go talk to your coach. But don't talk about your coach in front of me, man. Because if you are, then you're not playing basketball. You don't understand why you didn't play better? Go talk to your coach. I'm not your coach. I'm your dad. Somebody disrespects you, then I'm here. If you fail, good. Deal with it. I'm going to help you get up. But don't come talk to me about coaching. I I do this for a living, man. I'm not going to criticize a guy that's trying to help you. And then the other part. So that's the officials. Do you think those coaches coaching fourth-grade kids are making any money? So there's someone that's giving of their personal time on a Sunday for free to help other people's children, yet we're going to have the adults in the stands yelling obscenities at the officials, criticizing every decision the coach makes, yelling at the kids like the kids, they're 10 years old, man. Like if there were LeBron James and Dwayne Wade playing in the NBA Finals, like, like they know how to handle their coach over here and their parent over here yelling at them. Then we wonder why kids get confused, man, why kids rebel, why kids don't know how to listen. How can you listen when you got so many voices in your head at the same time? You know what life teaches you? Shut things off. And that's, that's the part that's frustrating to me. It's, if, if someone so, wants to be so animated when there's a basketball game going on, then go coach the team. Go run practices. Show up every day at 6 o'clock at night and run an hour and a half practice. And then you got your team to coach. Or be an assistant coach. Sit on the bench, yell all you want. I don't care if people on the bench yell at my kids. I got two boys. I, if they don't deal with my children, they won't be on, my children won't be on their team. My, my child acts up or doesn't do things the way that they're expected to do things by them, not me. And they let it happen, I'm taking my son off the team. I want my son to be challenged, my, both of my boys. I want them to grow up. I want them to understand what life's about. But that's the part that's sad, man. So there was Frank Martin. Again, one of my favorite clips of all time, press conference clips. Everything he said there is just absolutely spot on. When you're talking about youth sports and everything, and we've all seen it. We've all seen If we attend enough youth sports games, we've all seen it. But the point and the reason why I played that as he said, you know, instead of being all animated in the stands, yelling at the coaches and referees, he said, go coach. Go coach. Go volunteer your time. Go help. Get a whistle. Go coach Go coach a team or be an assistant. But here's the thing, and we're coming full circle here with that football video. Uh, not everybody is qualified to do that. And not everybody should do that. Whoever the people are who are running this youth football, whatever it is, youth football camp, 
Again, I'm not even sure where it's at. Have absolutely no business around kids. Have absolutely no business coaching youth football or any kind of youth sports at all. None. None. Look at the video and tell me otherwise. Coach Martin says, you don't like how things are done, go coach. But at least do it the right way. At least know what the hell you're doing. Because it's, it's, it's clear that whoever the coaches were in this video don't know what the hell they're doing. They have no clue. Or else they wouldn't allow that to happen. They wouldn't allow it to happen. A clear mismatch set up for solely the purpose to watch one little kid get blown up by another. That's what it was. Disgraceful, disgusting. And again, heartbreaking to see that little kid try to get up, maybe not even knowing where he was. With everything that we know now, this ain't 30, 40 years ago when we were put through hell in football practice, we were put through the ringer. We know so much more now about concussions and brain damage and CTE and all that stuff. And there's and to know that there are still tool bag clowns like that who are still in charge of youth sports and youth pro, it, it sickens me. I hope these people are found out. I hope we all get to know their names. I hope we all get to know where they're from. And I hope that anybody who has a kid within a 50-mile radius keeps their kids as far away as possible from those morons. As I wrap this up, let me say this. There are, there are mostly good volunteer coaches. There are mostly good youth sports coaches. I don't want to paint with a broad brush. But when you see videos like this, it, 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 it brings everybody down. It brings all youth coaches down. It brings youth football down. Right? One bad apple spoils the bunch, whatever, however the saying goes. I don't even know. That kind of stuff in this day and age, knowing what we know, simply can't be tolerated anymore. And I'll say it one more time for those in the back. If you watch that video and you see nothing wrong with it, Please don't ever coach anybody's kid ever. Please stay as far away from a youth field or a youth court or whatever as you possibly can. Because there is something wrong with you. All right, time for a break. News and weather coming up. Stick around. Cumberland's ESPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. See, the uh, the 2021 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class uh, has been announced. The Foo Fighters, the Go-Go's, Jay-Z, Carol King, Todd Rundgren, and Tina Turner will be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame uh, later this year. Iron Maiden still not getting enough votes to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Iron Maiden, at one point, one of the biggest rock bands on the planet. Not in 
the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I don't want to live in a world where the Go-Go's get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before Iron Maiden. You might as well just change the name of the Hall of Fame. Like, if I told you, pop quiz, who's more rock and roll? Iron Maiden or the Go-Go's? Who's more rock and roll? Iron Maiden or Todd Rundgren? Who's more rock and roll? Iron Maiden or Carole King? No offense, Carole King. Good stuff. Good catalog. Come on. (laughs) Seriously? The Go-Go's. Who, hey, they were trendsetters in their own right. One of the first all-female bands that you know I can remember to really hit you know mainstream. Top ten hits, all that stuff. Blinda Carlisle, who had a decent solo career of her own. But how is Iron Maiden? How do they get in before Iron Maiden? Come on. Anyway, I demand a recount. Apparently, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame voting, uh, like all Hall of Fames, uh, a bit screwed up. So, a lot of people are making a fuss over Tim Tebow. I I don't even know if I have the energy. Word is, rumors are, that the 33-year-old Tebow is going to sign a one-year contract later this week or next week to play tight end for Jacksonville. Never played tight end in high school. Never played tight end in college. Never played tight end during his three-year NFL career. But he's going to try to play tight end for his old ball coach in Florida, Urban Meyer. A lot of people upset about it. Again, I... I don't have the energy. I don't. It's it's Tim Tebow. Really, one of the more polarizing guys we've seen come down the pike in a while. A guy who really has never done anything wrong <laughs> in his entire life. People still hate him. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put the kibosh right now on the whole Colin Kaepernick Tebow thing. It was immediately one of the things. That was thrown out there. Oh, Tim Tebow can get a job, but yet Colin Kaepernick is Cap. Do you want to play tight end? And that's it. That's it. Devin Bush, linebacker for the Steelers, said, I-, I can't wait to play Jacksonville. Well, I tell you what, Devin, why don't you stay healthy and be on the field? Maybe you'll get a chance. But here is ESPN's Marcus Spears, who says that Tebow going to Jacksonville. It's got nothing to do with football. You've never played tight end in your life. And you, you're you going to start in the NFL after being out of that league for this period of time. That's the football part of it. Like, so for me, like, I'm going to be honest with y'all, and y'all know me, I don't really, you know, get into all of the politically corrective things. Tim is with the Jaguars because of him and Urban Meyer relationship. It don't have a damn thing to do with football. Nope, it doesn't. So? <laughs> So, Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow go way back. Way back, all the way to the college days in Florida. He wants to bring Tebow on. So, 
Who's losing sleep over that? Paul Feinbaum, Mr. SEC himself, was on with uh, Greeny yesterday. He needs a re-entry point, and he's in Jacksonville. And I think, I think, Tim, I think a lot of people around him want him to be introduced one more time in his home state. And, and I don't know if that's enough, but I think he, he does this, and, and you see the attention it, it's garnering. Uh, Mike, uh, on, on your program, on other shows, uh, on our program yesterday afternoon, this is the only topic going, and it, it, is, it, is, it is literally over, overwhelmed the news that Trevor Lawrence is on that team and he's the number one pick. But we've been through Tebow mania before, and I just think he wants to play with this for a little bit and then make a determination. And I think when he, when he feels the crowd, uh, when he senses it again, and I think he does need that to a degree, and, and then he makes a decision. Uh, does he become a, the, the future head coach at the University of Florida? Does he take on a bigger role? I encourage him to get into politics a couple of years ago. And, and by the way, so did uh, the former president. I think he's most most of all trying to help Tim Tebow uh, because they are they are they have one of the strangest uh, and, and unique relationships, Mike. I've ever seen. I've been around the two of them together, and and, and, and Tim Tebow does something that no one else has ever done. He he's, he has made Urban Meyer look human to me, and I admire that uh, in, in Tebow. And you know they're 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 closer than a father son. I mean, there, there's just something about it, and I think he he's always wanted to give Tim. Uh, an opportunity if it ever if it ever fit it, because urban is is part of a group of a lot of people out there and you've heard from them rightly or wrongly who don't feel tim has given been given a fair shake in the nfl i don't know about that i mean they tried him out at quarterback he wasn't terrible in denver he got bounced around yeah i think he played with eagles patriots and some other teams and here's the thing about Tebow. Again, people hate him for reasons I can't even figure out. You heard Paul you know, mention Tebow mania. I mean, people just got tired of hearing about him. And he's already, that's all they're talking about. That's all they're talking about is Tebow going to Jacksonville and playing for Urban Meyer. That's a splash move right there. Jacksonville was 1-15. You got the top overall pick. You've got Trevor Lawrence. Now you're bringing in Tebow. People are talking about Jacksonville. How do you get people to talk about a 1-15 team? That's how. That's how. You bring in a guy like Tim Tebow. Talking about him right now. But this nonsense, that this is some terrible thing, that Tebow gets signed, I don't understand it. And, And we heard it whenever he tried to play baseball, right? Got into the Mets organization, and you hear people say, oh, boy, oh, sure, everybody's just kowtowing to Tim Tebow. He has no business playing baseball. He's taking a roster spot away from somebody who's played baseball all their lives. Heard that over and over and over again. Now we're hearing it again here with Jacksonville. Oh, bring him back Tim Tebow. Never played tight end in his life. He's going to take a roster spot away from a young tight end. Here's look. Let's be honest here. If you're a tight end, on Jacksonville's roster, and you cannot beat out a 33-year-old who has never played tight end in his life, who hasn't played in the NFL since 2015. If you can't beat him out, you suck. That's it. If you can't beat Tim Tebow out for a tight end spot, you stink. And you don't deserve this spot. 
Much ado about nothing, man. Much ado about nothing. Back to wrap it up. Stick around. Come around, GSPN Radio. This is the Morning Rush. Before we get out of here, let us uh, take a look at the player who delivered, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. How about Troy Stokes Jr. having himself a night for the Pirates? There's a line drive left field. There it is. There's his first big league hit. Troy Stokes Jr. drives in. Kevin Newman from third to give the Pirates a 3-1 lead. There's a ground ball inside the third base bag. Newman had taken off on the pitch. Troy Stokes into second base with his first career double. What a night. Greg Brown, the calls on the Pirates Radio Network. First two major league hits. First two career RBIs for Troy Stokes Jr. Pirates beat the Reds 7-2. Stokes, single, double, two runs, batted in. Good for him. Always good to get to get those first hits and first RBIs out of the way. And that is your player who delivered brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. Tonight, 8 o'clock, the NFL releasing the 2021 schedule. Something that I simply can't bring myself to get excited about. I know a lot of people do, and if you do, good on you, man. You do what you want to do. It's your life. Have at it. I can't. I don't. I don't see the big deal. I. I just. I, I will not spend more than a minute sitting in front of my TV watching the NFL schedule release. I just won't do it. Now, we'll talk about it tomorrow because everybody likes to go down the list and do the whole win-loss game, right? You look at your schedule. May 12th, and somehow we'll all figure out that our team's going to go 9-7. and seven. Or I guess it would be 9-8 and eight this year, or 10-7 and seven with 17 games. Right? We all do it. We all do it. Oh, here's a win. There's a win. There's a loss. There's a win. There's, like, like we know anything about our teams on May 12th. But we're going to do it, and we'll talk about it tomorrow. Will I waste time watching it tonight? No, I will not. Now, week one has already been released. Thursday, September 9th. The Cowboys at the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers. That kicks off the entire season. The first time ever the Bucs will play in the the kickoff game on Thursday night. Then on uh, September 12th, the Steelers opening up at the Bills. Pittsburgh at Buffalo, 1 o'clock. Also at 1 o'clock, the Washington Fighting Riveras will host the L.A. Chargers. And then the Monday Nighter, first Monday Nighter of the season, the Ravens hit the road. They head to Vegas to take on the Raiders. So that's week one. Trying to see some other uh, matchups. Jags and Texans will be. It's gonna be terrible. Jets at Panthers, terrible. Oh, t- like they didn't set that one up right. Like that wasn't a complete setup. Now I know they were already scheduled to play, but Week One, Sam Darnold with the Panthers taking on the Jets. Come on, come on. You got cards at the Titans. That should be a decent one. 
Vikings at Bengals. Who cares? 49ers at Lions. Ugh. All right, all right, so you got to cut. Right, your Seahawks at Colts. That should be a good game week one. Also, Browns at the Chiefs. That should, that'll be a good week one game. Everything else just looks awful. The Sunday night game week one, Bears at Rams. That'll be a 6-3 game. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, the NFL has such a grip on uh, everything. Everything. I mean, anything the NFL does, people just flocked. It is, it is a true phenomenon. They have found a way to make the schedule release, like for a lot of people, must see TV. It's a schedule release. Like we already know who the teams are playing. It's just now they're just putting dates and times on them. And I guarantee millions will flock to the TV tonight to watch it. I will bet right now, I won't bet the whole house, maybe a bedroom, that the NFL schedule release will outdraw any NBA game on the schedule tonight. What do you think? It it might outdraw anything. Any uh, baseball game, any NBA, well, hockey's done for now until the playoffs start. That's how big the NFL is. That is the giant that is the National Football League. I will bet that they draw more viewers to the schedule release on May 12th than any NBA game or any baseball game on TV tonight. What do you, what do you say? We'll have, to, we'll have to look at it. Because the NBA ratings are in the tank, in case you haven't paid attention. NBA ratings are absolutely horrible. Last year, they tried to say, ah, oh, well, it was a pandemic season. It was, you know, in the bubble. Oh, there's no bubble this year. And the NBA ratings absolutely stink. They have driven away a lot, a lot of viewers. And a lot of viewers that won't be coming back. So there you go. If you're into it, NFL schedule release tonight. And yes, we'll play the win-loss game tomorrow. All right, speaking tomorrow, I'll be back. 7 a.m. sharp. Hope to see you then. This is Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see you.